Thank you very much. Well, it's really good to be with you once again. And uh, I'm delighted to be here. Well done to you for getting here um, in the weather. Can I just say, uh, once again, a huge thank you to the leadership team at Christ the Lord, because um, Christmas is a, a challenging time for vicars, um, anyway, people running churches, uh, because so many things happen that are different from usual and so many extra services and things. Um, so, you know, those of us who are kind of, you know, in the job all the time find it challenging enough. So for uh, the leadership team to be running things now is particularly tricky in many ways. So a huge thank you from me to each of them. It's a great team uh, for all the work that is being uh, done to keep the, the wheels uh, not just turning, but actually advancing uh, here at Christ the Lord. Um, as you know, the, the process is restarting now for appointing a vicar. We've got um, an advert ready to go in the paper in January, and we have got dates. We're waiting for the bishop to confirm exactly when the interview dates and so on are going to be, but just to assure you that the process is uh, going ahead once again. Uh, keep praying. We want to know that, that person out there somewhere that is God's person for here. We just need to know who it is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word to us, and thank you for this Christmas time when we especially focus upon all that you did for us in the coming of Jesus. Speak to us again now, we pray. Amen. Well, when I was at infant school, about 20 years ago, <laughs> give or take, um, in a lesson that was then called Scripture and is now called RE, we were asked if anyone knew what a prophet was. Well, I was brought up in a corner shop and post office. So I put up my hand and I said, well, if you buy something for a pound and sell it for two pounds, that's a profit. <laughs> it's true, I did. I remember it quite distinctly. And the teacher explained that uh, while that was no doubt correct, it wasn't the sort of profit she'd had in mind. She was thinking of the sort of prophet that said things like, What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That's Micah chapter 6, Old Testament prophet. Or, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7, Old Testament prophet. Or even, Isaiah 11, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They were Old Testament prophets. So who were they? And what relevance have they got to us today? Well, in the New Testament, St. Peter said about the Old Testament, he said, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And one of the important things the Old Testament prophets did was to speak out God's word into their contemporary situation, to talk about God's demands for justice. Like that quote from Micah, what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly before your God? They often spoke about justice and uh, they were quite prepared to tell the kings and the rulers that they were doing things wrong and often the prophets suffered for that. But that was an important part of their role, telling forth God's 
word, forth telling God's word. This is what God requires of you. But there is another part of the, the prophet's job which is important and which we're focusing on today. And that is not so much forth telling God's words, but foretelling God's word, which is often what we mean by the word prophecy anyway, foretelling the future, speaking about the future. Now that sounds simple enough, okay, they, they predicted the future. But sometimes reading a book like the prophet Isaiah, we might find it a bit confusing to know exactly what he's talking about. Is he talking about what was for him the near future? So he was, it was a long time ago, he was nearly 800 years before Christ. So that's 2,800 years before us. So was he talking about when he was writing or declaring his prophecies, was he talking about a time just after his own time, 800 BC? Or was he talking about a time between him and us, for example, the coming of Jesus? Or was he talking about the far future, which is still future for us? Gets a bit confusing. So we've got a picture um, on the screen here, which is um, a landscape. Best picture I could get to illustrate this, this point, uh, more or less does it. That's just a landscape. If you look carefully, you could say it's got three horizons. Ignore the flowers at the, uh, the foreground. But you've got a hill with trees on. That's the first hill. It's like the first horizon. Once you get to the top of that, you've got a big mountain behind it. Sort of greyish-green mountain. And then in the far distance you've got a snow-capped peak. So if you're walking uh, in that landscape, you might be walking up the first hill, and uh, probably from actually on the hill, you can't see beyond it, because it's that hill that's in front of you. You can just see one horizon. And you get to the top of that hill, in this case in the trees, but let's ignore the trees, you get to the top of that hill, and you realize that there's another, much bigger hill, further on. Another horizon. When you climb that mountain, it looked like as far as you could go. But when you get to the top of it, you realize that there's a much bigger mountain further on. There's a third horizon. Now actually, from the beginning, from the start of the walk, or from us looking at the picture, those three horizons seem quite close together. In fact, on a picture, they're flat. They are close together. But they might look close, but when you actually start walking, when you get to the first one, it's a long way to the second one. And when you get to the second one, it's a long way to the third one. Now, in a similar way, when Isaiah looks into the future, he sees various levels or horizons in the future, which to him seem to run together, seem to be quite close to each other, but which to us we can see are actually further apart. So, let's take Isaiah chapter 9, which was 
part of uh, that was read for our reading. Let's take this as an example. So this was spoken over 700 years before Christ to people in Jerusalem who were being attacked. If you have got the Bible open, it's a good idea to, uh, to uh, look at it, Isaiah chapter 9. So the kind of historical setting is that the people in Jerusalem were under attack from an enemy uh, called Assyria. Now, the, uh, their sort of next-door neighbors to the north, kingdom of uh, Israel around Samaria, they'd already been defeated by Assyria. And now Assyria was coming for Jerusalem. It looked as if Jerusalem was going to fall as well. But God, through Isaiah, says this word of encouragement. It's verse 2 of Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness, people who are afraid, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So you thought you were going to die, but actually a light is on the way. Um, verse 3 talking about God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. It's all about the enemy being defeated. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. In other words, the war is going to come to an end and uh, Jerusalem is not going to be defeated on this occasion. That was what that prophecy clearly seems to mean at the time. So it was a prophecy about the near future, the first horizon. It was an encouraging prophecy about their enemies being defeated, and sure enough, that is exactly what happened. You can read about it in Isaiah and Kings. Um, the Assyrian army was suddenly laid waste by a plague, and uh, that was the end of them. So the prophecy was fulfilled. But the very next verse, verse 6 of Isaiah 9, says... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, to those who first heard that, verse 6 following straight on from verse 5, they would have assumed, quite naturally, that this also referred to the immediate future. Rather looked like God was going to send a king who would be uh, pretty good and would um, reign on David's throne. But when we look more closely, we can see that it also refers as the New Testament writers saw, to someone far greater than an earthly king. Someone who is in truth and not just in name could be called mighty God. You wouldn't normally say that of a king. Eternal Father, a king of righteousness and justice 
whose kingdom will never end, not just figuratively, but literally, because he will live forever. So although Isaiah seems to run them together, and maybe in his mind he thought, oh, this must refer to an earthly king who is about to come, we now, from our perspective, can see that he is talking not just about the near future, but about the second horizon, about what was for him the middle distance. About the coming of Christ. Another example would be Isaiah chapter 11, which says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, so he's saying this will be a descendant of King David. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. <clears throat> but with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now again, that could refer to an earthly king, a just and good and wise king who would rule his people in the near future. But we can see how that prop prophecy again was supremely fulfilled in Jesus, the middle distance. Because he really is the, the great king who lives forever. But again, as I go straight on in chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play, play near, the, near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that is a picture of what we call sometimes the peaceable kingdom where there is nothing harmful or evil in the whole world, where even creation itself and all the animals in it are at peace. And evil is totally destroyed. Even uh, the lion just eats straw like the ox. Even the lion doesn't um, devour its prey anymore because all sin and all difficulty, sadness, evil, suffering in the world, which is so ingrained in our current world, all that will come to an end. Now, you will know, we all know, if we know what's happening in uh, Afghanistan or Iraq or Crawley or actually your house, that this time has not yet arrived this peaceable kingdom so this is the far distance this is the third horizon the future that is still in the future for us when Jesus really does reign as king when all evil is defeated when his goodness 
and the knowledge of the Lord fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now for Isaiah, the prophet, those three horizons seem to run together quite closely. So he could talk about freedom from the Assyrian enemy and the coming of a messianic king and the arrival of a peaceable kingdom in all its fullness, all in the same breath. They all come close together. Because he is standing at the front of this picture and the three horizons seem close. But from where we stand, which is somewhere beyond the second horizon, because the first horizon was the defeat of Assyria, the second horizon, the coming of Jesus. We are somewhere beyond the second horizon, but we haven't got to the third yet. We can see there's a distance between the three horizons. History has passed the first. Israel was delivered from Assyria. History has passed the second. The Messiah, Jesus the Messiah has come. But we are still marching on towards the third. The time when Jesus will come back and come again to judge the world justly, to establish his perfect kingdom when there is no more sin or evil, no more suffering or pain. And it's because we've seen the first two fulfilled that we know that the third will be fulfilled as well. So those are the words of the prophets. To speak God's word into the present situation, but also to give encouragement and hope for the future. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you are at work in history and you've been at work over all the centuries and sometimes you have graciously revealed to us how you've been working and how you intend to work in the future. We praise you that those prophecies so many centuries ago about the nation of Israel were fulfilled and we praise you that your prophecies about the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus and we praise you also that therefore we can rest assured that your other promises which we still await will also be fulfilled we thank you that we can have confidence in that in Jesus name Amen <laughs>